fintechs are great. They've got that end transaction in mind, but banks are learning. So what we're wanting to do is help them along that learning process. Welcome to the Operate Podcast, where we give you a behind-the-scenes look at company building from the perspective of the builders themselves. This is how we operate. Welcome to the Operate Podcast. I'm Kerry Ransom. Today's episode is sponsored by Bank Tech Ventures, the first strategic investment fund designed by the community banking industry for community bank innovation and investment. BankTech identifies leading products and technologies for community banks and works with the founders and management teams to maximize the impact for the banks and their businesses. If you're looking for innovative solutions and investing in your future as a bank, or you're a founder who wants to work with community banks, reach out to BankTech Ventures at banktechventures.com. My guest today is absolutely one of those. That's Nikki Senyard. And I'm proud to be one of her board members for her current company, Fintel Connect. She founded it a few years ago and really has the vision to become the leading purpose-built performance marketing technology company for the financial services industry. Now, that's my words, not Nikki's. So we'll let her talk more about that today. And that will be a big part of the topic of discussion today. And as many of you know, I have a fair bit of background in performance marketing as well as financial services. So... This is a, a rich area for discussion. She's also been a serial entrepreneur, which I always appreciate and, and question to myself and others why they're willing to do it again and again. But she's founded, scaled, and successfully sold other companies, including one called Income Access that she sold to Paysafe uh, back in 2017. She just has this drive to succeed that I greatly appreciate. And she really combines that with what I would call heartfelt leadership and just this continual curiosity to learn and grow herself, as well as the organization that she's in and a part of. Nikki, super excited we get to record this conversation. Thanks for joining me. It's such an exciting time to be here. Thanks so much, Kerry. Absolutely. So let's start. I often start with sort of the founding story of a business, but I want to start actually today with the the market. So we're in this financial services marketing market. Um, There are probably some people thinking, oh, you know, the the market's in a little bit of thrash right now. People aren't spending money. But all the data that I'm seeing is showing that the the spend by financial services companies, both traditional and fintechs, is only growing, particularly in the digital realm. So why why do you think it's, it's continuing to grow in this environment? I think one of the reasons that it's continuing to grow is because of its effectiveness. Mm-hmm. So basically any business wants to grow. You know, the old saying, while well, you're green, you grow, and when you're ripe, you rot. Mm-hmm. So every business wants to grow, right? However it needs to be. And the great thing about digital is that it's so trackable. It's so mm-hmm. traceable. It's so transparent. And so what we're actually finding when it comes to financial services is that People are older, traditional, maybe community banks are starting to understand the power of digital and its transformational, which is such a overused word when it comes to community Mm -hmm. banks, but a transformational element of it. And fintechs, their whole purpose is to acquire online. So guess what? Mm -hmm. When they can get a good cost per acquisition number going, they're going to spend more. So it's really about, it's not so much that they're spending more, that they're finding the impact on the bottom line to be impactful 
So therefore they're spending money where they're making money. So mm. that's where it all comes down to. Very good. Makes tons of sense. Yep. So you've been doing performance marketing for a long time beyond what you just described, like they're, they're being enlightened. They're starting to realize this is somewhat math. And if the math yep. works, we yep. can do more of this. That's it. What are you finding they need to better understand about marketing? Let me, can I, if I can just go backtrack to, to sure. for one second, marketing to me is in two big buckets. One is brand marketing and the other mm -hmm. one is acquisition marketing. So what actually happens is people new to marketing all focus on the brand because that's what we consume in our phones, on our TVs, on our radio, on Netflix, whatever. We're consuming brand marketing. So what actually happens is that when you start to mature in terms of a business and start to look at growing and making sure that you're focusing on acquisition marketing and acquisition marketing is where you start to look at the math right? Mm -hmm. So I think what I'm actually finding along the way is that more people are starting to find out that the math exists. So it's not all about getting my brand out there or getting my billboard out there or getting my sponsorship of my local soccer club. It's about where do I get my customers from and how much do I pay for my customers? That The whole thing is, is you can't do cost per acquisition until you have the data. Mm -hmm. When you're looking at a sponsorship, so let's say I'm taking talking about a community bank here. You look at where their traditional marketing spend was, and it was on brand in the community. And the reason that was on there, because they couldn't necessarily track who was coming to the teller to opening a bank. But when you have a digital account opening product and you've got the tracking in place, you can absolutely see where that customer has come from and the metrics are there. So I think what's happening is as tools are becoming available to financial institutions for them to use then they're actually starting to use them and leverage them in the way that they need to, mm -hmm. which is why then we come into existence and are useful because if you've got a digital account opening product, you can track the number of customers you get online. And then if you put tracking in place, you can see where those customers have come from. And then the more that you actually start to look at the elements along the pathway to getting that new customer, the more that you can actually track them, polish them and improve them. We're at the end of the funnel where we say for performance marketing, you've got a good product, you know who your customer is, you've got a good onboarding flow, and you know how much you're prepared to pay for a customer. So sort of like we're at the end of the journey, but mm. what we've actually discovered in this market through working with people like Bank Ted Fetcher is we're now starting to help people further into the funnel so that yeah. they can get to the end. Mm. Because what we realized is fintechs are great. They've got that end transaction in mind, but banks are learning. So mm. what we're wanting to do is help them along that learning process. So you're helping them along that journey. And yep. I think that is key. We'll talk a little bit more about that. I think the one topic I wanted to, to sort of also add here at the front, as we're talking about some grounding, yep. is this term affiliate marketing. Um, I'm yep. not sure a lot of my audience um, and certainly a lot of banks are that familiar with it. Let's do kind of an introduction to that and how it works. You talked about yep. knowing where people come from. Yep. I, I've had some very, very significant experiences with it, but I want to yep. give you an opportunity because you're an expert. Yep. You know, give us an introduction to sort of affiliate marketing 101. Fantastic. So remember when I talked about brand and acquisition marketing? In the acquisition marketing bucket, you've got all these channels. Mm -hmm. Channels are like organic search engine optimization, pay-per-click, social media, media buys, but you've got this other bit there called affiliate marketing. 
Now, affiliate marketing uses third parties like Nerd Wallet, Go Banking Rates, Credit Karma to actually refer customers to a banking product, but the bank only pays for the customers that they get. So basically, it's a performance marketing model. Instead of paying for clicks or impressions or eyeballs, you only pay for the customer you get. Now, to do that, you need a piece of tracking in between, and that's what we are. We're the tracking transparency that allows you to see that Credit Karma has actually given you 100 new depositing customers. And we track that all in between, and we do the commission calculations to say, we are now going to pay Credit Karma this amount because they've delivered you this many customers. So it uses third-party testimonial and websites to generate you new customers that you only pay for when you get them. And that's what we do. Very helpful. So you did this previously in the online gaming industry. Yes, regulated gambling. What was it about financial services that you saw, oh, there's a need here that hasn't been solved. I can go be that equivalent that I built maybe bigger even in financial services than I did in in gambling. How, how did you go through that process? So it's interesting, everything in its right time and place. Affiliate marketing in the world has been around for 20, 25 years. And I'm very lucky that I'm probably one of the veterans. I started in affiliate marketing in about 20, 2001. Mm. So I've been doing it for a very long time. But what actually happens is there's generalists and there's specialists. I love the specialists because you can get really deep into a niche and actually become part of the solution for that niche, which is what I did for online gambling. Um, and what I saw in financial services, I've been actually doing affiliate marketing and financial services for about 10 years. Mm. So this ain't new, which you mm. absolutely have had the experience of before and know. But what's happened is at the time that I did it, only enterprise banks could do it because they were the only ones in charge of the technology stack. And the interesting thing is in retail, my experience is in retail affiliate programs accounts for about 10% of the acquisition funnel. The business that I was in before accounted for 30% of the acquisition funnel. Mm -hmm. In financial services, it can be up to 45% of the acquisition funnel. So it's a very rich field to dive deep into a niche, mm -hmm. but everything in its right time. So previously, only enterprise banks could do it. Then neobanks come online mm -hmm. and neobanks then give customers the taste of what they could be having. And then we've got digital account opening products on the scene that give a smaller bank that doesn't own their tech stack a middle layer. And then what happens is we come on the scene. So basically it's an evolution about distribution. 10 years ago, I probably wouldn't have dived down into the niche because my ability to affect change was very minimized because of technology middle stack. But right now, digital account opening, loan origination systems, Salesforce, HubSpot, all of these guys give banks and fintechs, of course, the ability to track what goes on So, and product evolution, consumer demand, use of phones, people's comfort levels, trust levels. So it's basically a concophony of things that have actually led me to the conclusion that now we're ahead of the wave. So sort of like we're building out this awareness that this is possible. Sometimes I feel like I'm trudging up that hill by myself. Mm. and say, come on, guys, it's good up the top. We can get there. Come on. So it's that's great. That's when you sort of like really feel that you can make foundational change difference to how people see things. And that's where we're up to. 
makes a ton of sense. So you mentioned, you know, you're working with both traditional, as yep. I would call it, traditional financial institutions, banks, yep. credit unions, also fintechs. What's been the biggest difference that you've seen between sort of the the legacy businesses in the space and and more emergent fintechs? It's all about maturity. And I'm talking about age in market. Fintechs are sharp. They know what their metrics are. They've been here before because if even if this new founder that I'm working with now has got the CRO from three fintechs before, you know, like these guys have their metrics. So that's really cool because they'll push you to basically be better and to, to meet their needs and all the rest of it. But what we've been able to do is we've been able to take that sharpness of experience and actually lead some of these credit unions and community banks and more traditional banks into actually posing the question of what they need to ask. So what we are actually finding is in the banking world, you're broken down into those that have done it for the last 10 years, which are more your enterprise banks. And then you've got new guys at that preparedness to experiment or to go out there and do things differently. So the biggest difference is in the banking sphere, it's basically broken into still two very big groups. The enterprise banks that we work with that are very like the fintechs, very sharp and actually know what they're doing. And then you've got basically like a newcomers group. Hmm. And that newcomers group are curious. They're prepared to innovate. They're prepared to put their toe in the water. And that's the me to me, the very exciting, probably not the most profitable, but the very exciting area because that's where the sea change happens. Digital equalizes in a way that land base doesn't. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I, and and I think about that even from like large and small. To your point, I I always feel like I mean, and I, I I was involved early days as an example in Google AdWords, and we had a startup, and I could compete in in the auction and be Absolutely. as big, big or small as anybody, as long as as long as I was willing to pay five, ten, twenty five cents a click. I could I was paying the same price as the biggest companies out there, and I think affiliate is much the same way that. You know, there's some cases they might try to squeeze people out with price, but I feel like it's still as digital as is to your point, a great equalizer. So yeah, it, that... it's and it's also too big in the fact that there are too many players in here for a group of enterprise banks to decide to do it like this. There's too many products, too many players, too many sites. There's always something for everyone. I saw it, there was um, a uh, conversation on LinkedIn about marketing and banks and and all of that sort of stuff. And my comment is any financial institution has the opportunity to do everything if they have the right mindset to do it. Mm -hmm. It's not about technology access. It's not about um, region of the bank. It's not about any of those sorts of things because there's always a solution to every problem. But it's just how dedicated you are to being innovative and creative within the boundaries of what your charter is and what yeah. your rules are and, and all of that sort of stuff. But I'm just saying there is a solution for every problem out there. Hmm. Well, you've also, I mean, you've been such a good partner. You mentioned this earlier that you know you're helping sort of bring some of these folks along on that journey because maybe they don't know their data yet or their their yep. math. You've been, you know, good partner and advocate. You've worked with a ton of the community bank organizations like the ICBA and ABA mm -hmm. and state associations. You know, in doing that, what do you find most challenging with that group? I find most challenging changing the mindset 
because there's a lot of people that find comfort like I've done this before I'm not going to get fired for doing this mm-hmm. you know like the decision no one's going to get fired for hiring IBM you know like it's it's one of those sorts of things and what I find the most challenging is to line up the decision making factors within a bank so what will happen is I could have a CEO that's really interested or I could have a marketing director that's really interested or I could have a COO but it's actually lining up all of those factions to be able to move something forward because I, I can't just have the CEO and I can't just have the marketing person, but it's actually lining up those factions to be able to do it. And everybody's appetite is different. So sometimes you have to start at the lowest common denominator to be able to build up. And I've decided that my comprehension of speed is probably different to other people's yeah. comfort levels. So it's like, it's not difficult, guys, but I have to appreciate there's lots of agendas going on in a lot of places. We've got a partner that we're working with that is really committed to what we're doing. And the conversation has been 12 months, mm-hmm. which is not uncommon in banking. And I understand that, but it's sort of like we could have done something by now. Sure. So it's sort of, um, it's the alignment is probably the thing, not the willingness, not the not the ability to go forward, but sort of like that alignment. Yeah, it's funny. I, I I feel like, I mean, having been in the software and, and sort of digital world for my entire adult life, I think there's a just a speed that's just natural there that yes. it's, you know, business at the speed of bits and bytes. Yes, and, and so, um, yeah, I think that that is a a change that some have to to probably go through on the the other side, I mean, what what do you find most fulfilling? For me, it's always been sh- once you can show them the math, for example, and show them the results. It's, it's almost like you're 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 helping the con- you know convert people, and I think that that's I, I've always found that really fun. Yeah, and I, mine is very very similar. If we can be part of the solution, I'm ecstatically happy. Mm-hmm. And to me, it is about c- contribution. Everywhere that I've gone, it's like, how can we make a positive contribution? Because if we're solving a problem, something that's causing someone discomfort and pain, whether it be they need to get more customers or I need to get this up and going to reach my KPIs or, you know, like we're doing stuff in banking as um, a service area at the moment. All of those sorts of things are solving a real problem to people. So it it increases their quality of life. And I know Mm -hmm. it sounds a bit altruistic. But for me, it's that if we can make a positive difference wherever we go, whether it be knowledge, whether it's giving people more time, giving them more access to quality customers, publishers even, right? Because we've got two customer groups here, Kerry. We've got the banks that we work with, but we've got all of the publishers that we work with. My greatest joy is being able to create a partnership with a publisher that creates everybody good money. I'm I'm definitely a win-win person. So when I can find those win-wins, I find it really, really satisfying. Yeah. I and I think, you know, it's funny. I'm I'm increasingly hearing you think about, you know, our banks uh the, as really commercial businesses, right? They they in, in many cases are are in a uh, a market that they're trying to, you know, offer their their products and services into. And then really what you you've created is a partner ecosystem. That's right. But increasingly you talk to leading sales or revenue leaders and companies, and that's what they're looking for are these partnership ecosystems. That's right. Where the, these publishers who aren't providing financial services but want to highlight and 
connect the best yep. ones that they can get introduced Absolutely. to. Uh, you, you, those are those the ecosystem. So I, I do agree that I think that is the the value that that you're bringing, and it's really helping people understand what that means because I don't think it's <laughs> obvious to to everyone as much as it might be to to us. I know, and the thing for me is that what I'm learning, well, we, and you've experienced this ultimately multiple times in your career. It's like you have to go from the point of where your audience is. So if I go from the point of marketing director in a bank, it's like, what's their world look like and how can I bring them into my world? But I have to start where they are. Mm -hmm. For a publisher, it's like understanding that if they're used to working with fintechs, understanding that banks are different, but they're an extra layer that they have for their audience, like a fintech, uh, um, mm -hmm. a publisher's audience. Everybody has value everywhere. But I feel like we're a bit of a problem solver and a matchmaker because we're trying to find the problem for the bank or the credit union. How does the partners solve it over here? Or how does our technology solve it in terms of transparency or with our banking service product policing content? So they're like, how do we how do we solve the problems of where our audiences sit? And I think that's why I love building what we do is because I see us as part of the solution. Mm -hmm. I don't see us selling anything. I see us as part of the solution of where we can actually make a difference. That's what motivates me to do it. So one of the topics that I hear every bank I talk to, hey, any ideas on deposits, right? We'd, we'd like to figure out a way to, to you know compete and, and get more deposits. So using that as maybe the the problem that's out there, how are you attacking some of that for banks with solutions in the, the Fintel suite? So it's really interesting. Not very often do you have banks' agenda meeting consumers' agenda. <laughs> At the moment, they're completely aligned. Banks want more deposits and consumers are looking for cool places to place their money that aren't high risk, mm -hmm. right? Interest rates, inflation basically shook the marketplace up a little bit more than we probably had before. So basically consumers are out there are looking for good CD products. They're looking for money market products and they're looking for good places to put their deposits. And so what's actually happening is the consumer demand is actually meeting what the banking demand is out there. So what happens with consumer demand is consumer demand generates the publishers to write articles about what they're seeing keyword volume increase on. And then publishers want to make money out of the articles they've got. So they're looking for banking products to put into the articles where they can recommend customers and get paid for the results of what they're getting. So what we're doing at the moment is we're finding that there's a lot of money around looking for deposits and a good place to go, but we've also got a lot of content out there to be sponsored or to be monetized mm for the consumers to be there. So we're talking to a company at the moment about their money market product. And what they're doing is they're saying, we've got national coverage, um, we know what our CPA is, and we're looking for this type of quality of customer. So that's really easy for us then to go to our 2,000 or 3,000 database of third-party websites, influencers, TikTokers, YouTubers, and quality content sites, and saying, do you have this type of customer they're prepared to pay this CPA for it. There's the partnership created. And that's what we're doing a lot at the moment on the CDs, deposits, and also money market products. And the and the, the consumer demand is there for the product. So it's not like the banks are asking for something that they can't find the customers for. They're out there. 
Very cool. And so if I'm a bank and I'm interested in deposits, I mean, I probably can even come to you and say, Hey, what do yep. I need to, what do I need to pay to get some, That's, and not doing... just in, not and CPA for those who, who aren't tracking is cost per acquisition. So it'd be cost per new customer, but yes. it would be that, but also what's the market rate of, That's it. of prices that seem to be so, competitive that are going to move consumers to, to, to move. But what we're, what we're doing as well is we're giving the banks feedback on what is competitive from a product perspective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what it is, is not only the cost per acquisition or the cost, cost per new customer, CPA, but it's also how do we make the product really attractive? So one of the customers that we're, one of our brands that we've been working with on a CD product, we were able to come up with a two month product at a really good interest rate and there was no other product around there on the market for that because hmm. we did an analysis of what was out there in terms of competitive product. And we were able to shape something that they could fulfill that was unique. Hmm. And they wouldn't have come up with that had they not been working with us on it. Great story. So I've talked with prior guests about the accelerators. Founders, yep. you know, there, there are a lot of well-known accelerators out there some have global brands even you know you went through the ICBA's yep. think tech accelerator which is pretty yep. unique that gave you access to a lot of banks in a pretty short period of time so how would you describe the value that you got from that accelerator program so it's very interesting as a shiny new entrepreneur going into an accelerator, you have one thing in mind, new customers. Mm -hmm. That's what you're going there for. I don't mean dollar signs um, in a crass manner, but I, you, you're, you're mm -hmm. looking for customers because that's why you do the accelerator. That's why I did the accelerator. Because mm -hmm. I got exposed in the accelerator we did, we spoke to 80 banks mm -hmm. in the 12 week period of time. And I was never going to get that opportunity anywhere else. Sure. I got not one customer from it. So people have actually asked me the question and I've spoken to the guys at ICBA. I got I got not one customer from it, which immediately after, we were also impacted by COVID and a whole range of different things. And if somebody said to me, would you do an accelerator like that again? I would say 100% yes. Even though I got not one customer from it, the ripple effect has been so rich which is we found BTV. I found some incredibly great referral partners. I created two new products from that accelerator that we're rolling out now. So it, it, it had so many rich impacts on our business in a very, very positive way. But I think what it is, is I went in there very narrow-mindedly mm -hmm. and said, I'm looking for new customers and this is how I'm going to uh, evaluate the accelerator. But in actual fact, I got so much more that it's going to be so much more valuable for my business than the new customers. So it was an incredibly rich experience, um, but not in, the, you know, sometimes it doesn't happen in the way you expect. That mm. would have been how I would uh, explain the accelerator. So how about accelerators overall? How would you think about advice if I, as a founder, came to you and said, I'm thinking about an accelerator. How should I evaluate whether to, which one, et cetera. I think you have to be very deliberate in what you're choosing to go for is one. Mm -hmm. And then I would highly recommend that you speak to past participants to see whether that is going, like if I spoke to a past participant, if I, if I was talking to myself now three years later, mm -hmm. 
I would highly recommend someone do it because the accelerator we chose was very um, networked, mm-hmm. right? Or they they valued partnership in the same way I do. So our value sets aligned, right? If I had have chosen an accelerator that was more um, more transactional and less values based, I may not have even I may not have got the rich secondary impact of what I was doing. So I would be very clear on what your agenda is, speak to people there before and actually understand whether your values align or not. Hmm. Sounds like a job though, doesn't it? <laughs> great, great. I'd be interviewing them. Yes. Yes. I know uh, I mentioned earlier, you, you're a serial entrepreneur. Let's, let's talk about that. You were very successful with your last yep. company. What made you want to do it again? I have asked myself that question multiple times. <laughs> What's wrong with me? I asked that question myself many times. That's it. And I will be very blunt, as you know me to be. Hmm. Uh, I forgot how hard it was. Hmm. I actually forgot. Uh, but then once I'd made the commitment, um, I'm very competitive. So it was not, I was not going to let it beat me and it will not beat me in whatever way. And the fact was I had a vision. So my vision didn't change. I just forgot how hard it was at the beginning. Mm. Um, I started this because I believe that we can fundamentally positively change the world market related to this type of acquisition. Technology, the market, consumer interest, the whole thing aligns with what my agenda, what, what my vision has been. And for me, because I think it's worthwhile, I'm committed and I've got the energy for it. Mm-hmm. And I'm, as you said, I mean, I'm very curious. I really like to understand how people do what they do and why they do it, what they do. Sort of content to me is a little agnostic. I was in regulated gambling. I don't know how to gamble, but I know how to market a gambling site. <laughs> Finance may be not my hottest topic of interest, but it's like, I find it so curious and it's so important to people's lives. If you know, like I see my job as getting the right product into the hands of the consumer when they need it. Mm-hmm. Like I'm a little part of that journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and how good is that is because financial wellness um creates quality of life. And that's where we I see us playing a role in. What do you feel like you're doing better this time than last time? And not second guessing myself, hmm. making really snap decisions in a way that I probably would have labored over before. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got to tell you, I'm learning though. It's um, it's when you, the last business we had, we bootstrapped. So that was a very tedious process of self growth along the way, which took us a very long time. Um, and so now with a partner, a financial partner, like we've got in BTV and EDC, who are other investors, it's now we've got the funds to do it. So how do you do it intelligently with speed, but not throw the baby out with the bathwater because it's really no different than what we had before. Mm-hmm. So it's um it's curious, definitely curious. Any new challenges this time? Yes. Technology is a new challenge mm-hmm. um, in terms of we had our technology stack internal before and we built it as we went. We've outsourced it, now we're insourcing it. So that's been an interesting challenge. The other thing is the marketplace. It's all context stuff. 
it's not it's not the business of what we do it's new challenges are we had covid uh employment was incredibly difficult more than i've ever experienced in my life and it's expensive mm -hmm. um which i've never had to pay before like we're paying now um so there have been a couple of very unique challenges but i don't think our challenges have been unique to us they've been unique to the marketplace in mm -hmm. this time so, but I think running, um, when I sold the last business, I had a little time to navel gaze, which was amazing. And um, I saw that there was three things that you needed to be an entrepreneur in my world. Like I'd spoken to lots of different, it's anecdotal, of course. One is that you have to be able to manage risk mm -hmm. because, which is why my subject comes up is like, whether it's not finding staff or insourcing or finding money or not finding money or finding new customers, it's always risk. But the other thing is that you have to be able to stomach risk. Mm. It's like you actually have to be able to go to sleep at night because it can be very stressful and you mm. still have to sleep through it. And the other one is you have to be able to um, manage discomfort because I've decided as an entrepreneur, I'm constantly uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. It's just whether I'm doing something new or going somewhere, whatever, It's I'm always pushing the boundaries of what my comfort is. Mm -hmm. um, and for whatever reason, I like that. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I, I sometimes call it an affliction, but I, I do it <laughs> in, a, in my optimistic way. But yeah, I mean, I, I weirdly am just comfortable being uncomfortable. And it's sort of the opposite of this desire that you hear in the market, you know, find this perfect balance or, you know, you, you're going to have this steady stable reality it's like life's just not that way i don't think and so so you embrace um, it yes. yes you embrace it and you and you do something about it so yes i am i am 100 percent an advocate of where you sit and i also feel in that discomfort you create mm -hmm. and when you can create that means to me that you, it's a positive difference because you're moving energy along mm -hmm. well you you lead a predominantly women-led organization um, and I, you know, and I even say you're in two fields that are sort of converging marketing and financial services that are sort of uh, historically not trailblazing fields for empowering women. So how do you find navigating that? Um, I, I get asked that question a lot, and I actually mm -hmm. find it a very curious question because I know no different. Sure. I've right? been doing I'm a, this for a while. Yes. Yeah. I'm a person, I've actually been working for myself and building businesses more than I've, the longest part of my career. So I was thinking about that today, which was, of course, a little depressing, but nevertheless, you move oh. on. Um, I think where it comes down to is I've been swimming in salt water. So I don't know what it's like to swim in fresh water, mm -hmm. is the best way of putting it. And I've got to tell you that I actually don't. I have been very privileged that I don't feel the impacts of being a woman, being in finance and being in technology. Mm -hmm. And that's, I don't know whether it's because of my ignorance. I don't see it because it could also be the case. It's just like, I don't notice it. Um, or it could just be that it's, um, it doesn't touch me or affect me the way that other things could or do. Mm -hmm. And so um because people, women, and I do, I employ of our company, my COO is a woman, my CRO is a woman, head of all of my departments are women, and I don't hire women. Absolutely. I am hiring the best person for the job, but we just happened, a lot of women happen to be attracted to the company. Mm -hmm. um, and my suggestion to them always is 
you got to run your own race. There is, there will always be challenges. There will always be risks. There will be people that support you. There will be distractors from you and you've just got to run your own race. And I think that um, I have the privilege of having an 18 year old son. Um, so being able to, he, he's only experienced me as an entrepreneur for his whole life. Um, and I think what it is, is you choose your, you choose your village um, and the village is what helps you get there. Cause I didn't do this on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an amazing partner, my husband, who's also my business partner. Um, and I didn't do this on my own. And I, I think any person who goes out there, woman or man goes out there that think they can do this on their own. That's where the fatal flaw comes. It's like, I need my team to be able to make me go out there and look good. I need my partner to help balance me up in doing it. And maybe that's just the thing that I'm prepared to admit, but all of us need that other, other side of it. Cause none of us do it on our own. Hmm. How do you just along those same lines, how do you continue to keep yourself sharp as a technology entrepreneur leader? Um, you, think- you, you're very introspective clearly, but what, what, what are the, the, things you do to keep yourself I think it is is that I am always curious on patterns nature is an amazing thing it'll outlive us Mm -hmm. as human beings we might destroy ourselves who knows but nature will still be there and I and nature works on patterns and rep and things that repeat so I'm really interesting where where natural patterns occur and then I think if technology can support those natural patterns, then it will always have a relevancy in a place. Mm-hmm. So I don't create in a vacuum. I create through synthesizing information or experiences or conversations. And that's something that I've just always done by creating. I don't create in a vacuum. I create through synthesis. And um, and you, and to be very, very pragmatic, a lot of it's got to do with intuition. It's like, where does this feel right? And and then you get the data and you look at it and and all of those sorts of things. But the thing is that you, um, it's about being able to hear, not the noise, but hear the message in terms of what goes on. And like I did at the accelerator, um, the products that we've formed from the accelerator, because I heard what everybody kept on repeating. You know, there is, there is, when you hear it enough times, it makes it real, doesn't make it important, but it makes it real. And those are the sort of signs that you need to follow. But again, do it um, intuitively and then sort of have the guts to actually put your money where your mouth is. Super fun conversation. So unfortunately, we're coming up against the end of this recording, but certainly not our last conversation. So final question for today what are you most excited about for the company this year? Uh, I am incredibly excited about predictability. Sort of as a young fintech or as a business that goes out there, we're been experimenting. And I really feel that this year is where it will, and we've been experimenting in time of COVID and with employment being what it is and, and all the rest of it. But I really feel that this year, even in a more turbulent time than previously, I really feel that we'll start to understand and get some deep roots. Mm. And from deep roots and good foundations creates amazing images. 
Um, and that's what I'm really excited about from a company perspective, more relationships with the banks, deeper um, appreciation of what we're able to contribute. And I'm really excited about this new product that we're working with banking and service banks on, which is something that's come a bit out of left field, um, where we've actually got a tool where we can help banking and service banks police their fintechs on content and and um, and how it affects uh, their image out there. So that's something that I'm very excited about really blossoming um, out there with the um, banking and service banks we're working with. Thank you, Nikki, for doing this, for being a partner. I'm so grateful to be part of this journey with you. And I know the rest of the bank tech team loves working with you and, and your team as well. Super excited for what's ahead this year. So thanks so again. Much. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Operate Podcast. If you like this conversation, as a favor to me, you can rate us, review us, or subscribe, or tell your friends. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at Operate Podcast. Until next week.